Hello, my name is Adam of Snyder's Return, and you are listening to the Tale of the Manticore podcast. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 5, the party arrives back in Silmoral and heads to their little apartment. Cole is still in bad shape after his fight with the guard dog. Orla is in a strange situation. He's with the PCs, and although he is not a prisoner, he's not free to leave them, either. But safety, privacy, and rest will have to wait. When they get home, there's a message on the front door. It's not a message that most folks would recognize as such. It's just a sooty smear on the door handle, but it has meaning for the PCs. This is an example of Thieves' Cant, a kind of limited language made up of signs, symbols, and slang that members of the same guild can use to communicate secretly. The message tells them to report to their superior, and so that is what they do. The man in charge of Yellowfly is one Lord Rabbit, so-called because the poor St. Clair district of Silmoral resembles nothing so much as a warren, and Lord Rabbit is its alderman. Yellowfly has to visit him alone, so he deposits his companions in a safe place and goes off for his meeting. While he's away, Tamlin entertains the others with the parable of Bread, the first parable of Chartoon, who is the patron saint of thieves. Yellowfly meets with Lord Rabbit, who is pleased with the PC's work, and provides a small reward for their efforts. He has instructions for Yellowfly and his band, and they are to begin their new assignments immediately. Shawnee and Phelan will go off and commit a little arson together, while Yellowfly and Tamlin do something involving a gold medallion on a silver chain. Cole will need to sit out this episode, as his wounds are severe and make him a liability. Between the Lines. Because this is the second season of Tale of the Manticore, one of my concerns, maybe it's a worry, is that I'll under-explain how the show works. I'm sure I take most of the mechanics for granted by now, but anyone who starts listening with season two might be left scratching their head over how running a solo game actually works, especially when I don't use any kind of oracle or emulator to determine outcomes. So let's talk about that for a minute. The process is fairly flexible but I do have some guidelines about which elements of the story get randomized and which don't. In short, some things always get a random roll to determine the result, some get a roll sometimes, and some never. I will always pull out the dice when it comes to character creation and stat rolling, any skills that characters use, like a thief's special ability to pick a lock, for example, and combat. For all of those things, chaos rules, and I will follow. Rolls I will sometimes make are for things like weather and wandering encounters. The decision to roll or not hinges on whether dice would make the story more exciting or just slow it down. 
When my NPCs have to make a decision, I will sometimes roll if a single logical best choice doesn't exist. That brings us to never roll situations. Player character decisions are never rolled. PCs will always do what makes sense for them given their individual motivations. I will also not roll for most of the tiny details required to fill a fantasy universe. How much does a character weigh? Are they old? What color are their eyes? Do they have a big family? All this stuff could be rolled, and in a private game perhaps I would, but not for the podcast. It just makes things too slow. So, I'm going to make it up as I go. Okay, that's enough meta talk for now. Let's get back to the story. Chapter 6 Part 1 Day 2 Afternoon Party status Shawnee Five out of five hit points. I'm not entirely comfortable holding these. Phelan wore a deep frown of concern. He was referring to the pair of flasks Skillifly had given him before walking off with Tam and Cole and leaving Shawnee as his sole companion. Well, perhaps minder was the better word. Phelan knew that he was being closely watched. Hmm? Shawnee was walking just ahead of him. They were in a dim alley where the sounds of the city were muted. Uh, well, you won't need to hold them for long. We're almost there. What exactly did Yellowfly mean when he said that you should get my hands dirty with these? It means what you think it means, love. If you want Yellowfly to trust you, you'll have to have some skin in the game. Same as the rest of us. Isn't it enough that I'm wanted by the City Watch? (laughs) It's a good start, she laughed. But no, it's not enough. We need to make sure the Winx want you dead too. They walked on in silence for a few more minutes before Shawnee took a left-hand turn and led Phelan to a proper street. Stay close to me and keep your head down. She took him past a farrier's shop, then a carpenter's, and then a place that sold textiles. The street was fairly busy, and the usual sound of folks at work and in conversation filled the air. Up ahead, not too far away, was a small public square. Phelan stiffened when he saw a pair of burly city watch guards stationed there. He was relieved when Shawnee turned into a new alley before they got close. He tried to follow Shawnee's advice and look at his feet, but once, when he looked up, he saw that a number of wanted posters had been pasted to a wall. Phelan was wondering if Shawnee had seen that his face was featured on one of them, when the rogue laughed and looked at him over her shoulder with a smile. Well, it looks like you were telling the truth about that part, at least. Phelan swallowed hard and turned around to look back at the mouth of the alley they had entered. He had a sudden fear that the two guards had spotted him and followed. Phelan really is a wanted criminal in Camertine, and he is very nervous about being out in public. This feeling does not improve when he sees his own face on a wanted poster. I wonder, is there any chance that those two guards saw and recognized him? I think the chances are almost zero, but there is a chance. I'm going to roll a d20. On a one, he'll be spotted. Rolling. Okay, I got an 18. The guards do not notice him. You know, I think it's high time we learned what this man is in so much trouble over. Maybe I'll just go ahead and roll up his stats, too. I have the feeling that Phelan is going to be with the party for a while, and might even join them as a PC. Now, there's a bit of a hitch in the character creation process because I've already described Phelan as very weak physically. He's also going to have to be fairly intelligent. I think I'm going to try something I haven't done before and that's to roll 3d6 for stats, and then arrange them in the order that makes the most sense given what has already been established for this character. Here are the six numbers generated by rolling 3d6 six times. 
9, 14, 10, 8, 14, 13. Well, I can work with this, but I need to use one further old school character creation option. That's to reduce a score by 2 to raise another by 1. I'm going to change that 8 to a 6. I'll add the resulting plus 1 to the 14 to make an intelligence score of 15. Wisdom gets the 13. The next 14 will be Dexterity, and then 9 for Constitution, and the remaining 10 for Charisma. So that's 6, 15, 13, 14, 9, 10 for Strength, Intelligence, Wisdom, Dexterity, Constitution, and Charisma, respectively. Dramatis Personae, Phelan Orla. Phelan Orla is 28 years of age. He has a short brown and ginger beard that he keeps neatly waxed to a point. His upper lip is bare, and his wavy hair hangs loose to his ears in a page cut. He is timid by nature, and will go to great lengths to avoid conflict. Kind, curious, and honest, he can be awkward in social settings, but this flaw is often interpreted as earnestness, and can be endearing. While his ancestry can be traced back to Zaysha, Phelan spent his entire life in Silmoral. In fact, he has only ever left the city once, when recent circumstances forced him to hide in the nearby town of Rull. Phelan has always been small. He was a small boy, and now he is a small man. At five foot six and weighing just 130 pounds, he is not physically suited for much other than working with books, scrolls, quills, and ink. Luckily, what he lacked in physical strength in childhood, he more than made up for in intellect. His parents recognized his gifts early, and, being wealthy enough to afford it, encouraged his love of study, and later, in his adolescence, sent him to study under the mystic Xavion the Red. He remained with the eccentric but kindly Xavion for eight years, and, under his able tutelage, began to learn the delicate art of wizardry. Phelan excelled in this environment, surrounded by books and history and lore, and by the age of 23, he had become Xavion's top pupil. This allowed him to apply for and be accepted by a master of much higher pedigree and profile, the Royal Magus, Carrick Malmar, the so-called Basilisk of Whitestone Castle. Carrick turned out to be a harsh master at some times, and grossly neglectful at others. It was this latter quality that landed Phelan in so much trouble. Months would pass in which he would not see Master Carrick at all. But it was during these times, when left to conduct his own experiments in the master's laboratory, that Phelan really came into his own. Although he was often lonely, recent years had not been unhappy ones. He was content, at least until the day Lady Belagret came to visit, and his life was turned upside down. Lady Belagret was the daughter of the prince's sister, his highness's niece, in other words. She was just eleven years old, but she stomped and stormed around the palace like an ogre, terrorizing anyone unlucky or foolish enough to get in her way. Fortunately for Phelan, the mages' part of the palace was not a part of Belagret's usual circuit, but one midsummer morning, she came to the laboratory and pounded on the door, demanding to speak with the royal magus immediately. It fell to Phelan to open the door and, bowing deeply, inform her majesty that the magus was not in. Lady Belagret did not seem to accept this fact, and instead gave him a royal order. Apparently, the day before, her highness had brought home some wildflowers, which her cat, Grimalkin, had promptly eaten. The cat, a tabby that by all accounts avoided the girl as much as everyone else, had gotten ill and vomited up most of the flowers. Today, Grimalkin had gotten worse, 
Its belly had swollen up and was hard, like a wineskin. Lady Belligrette charged Phelan with curing her poisoned cat. Phelan's protestations that he was not an alchemist and had no experience with toxins, or cats, fell on deaf ears. Belligrette, with her face turning red, pointed out various kinds of apparatus in the laboratory, concluding that Phelan was either an alchemist or a trespasser. A kind of contest of wills followed, but Phelan was no match for the royal niece. To be fair, the contest was rigged. There was never any chance of her backing down. Phelan's inability to help was taken as a refusal to obey. Belligrette, now crimson-faced, marched directly to the prince and reported a list of names Phelan had supposedly called her. The prince, in turn, believing that his niece would have no knowledge of such filthy language if she had not heard it from the mages' apprentice, sent his royal guard to arrest him. Phelan, with quickly mounting panic, managed to keep just enough composure to make his escape. He fled the palace and reached out to one of his few friends who put him in touch with another acquaintance, who in turn passed him along to some members of the Weeping Eye. These men arranged for his safekeeping until the matter could be settled, or else passage to and accommodation in Zaysha could be secured. This was the story that Phelan told to Yellowfly and the others on the way back from Domor. It was all true, and Phelan's last hope was that this man and his companions would believe him and keep him from harm. Hello, armchair adventurers. Do you enjoy epic collaborative storytelling with passionate players and intriguing characters? Red Desert Roleplay's ongoing campaign, The Fog of Verilon, brings you both in a unique world where sorcery meets steampunk. Listen as our cast rolls their dice through a world where deadly fog has pushed civilization into floating islands in the sky. A mystery 50 years in the making lures the curious and powerful to an abandoned technological marvel, and political upheaval simmers just under the surface. The Cloud Sea is calling you, armchair adventurers. We hope you'll join us at Red Desert Roleplay. Chapter 6 Part 2 Day 2 Afternoon. Party status. The party status is unchanged. Thus far, they had walked most of the way in single file, with Shawnee in the lead. But now they found themselves on a fairly deserted street and walked side by side. This was less comfortable socially for Phelan, but he had to admit it looked more natural. Wanting to say something to break the silence, and being quite bad at small talk, the little man found himself jumping right into deep conversation territory. Charnay, why do you do it? She looked sideways at him. Hmm? Do what? Live as you do. Why did you join the church? Oh, well, for the same reason you should join, I suppose. Because I had no choice. But also because it was the smart choice and the moral choice. <laughs> the moral choice? Aren't we about to... Look, perhaps it's best if I just say this now. I'm not certain I can go through with this. People could get hurt. People can always get hurt. But don't worry, there are no people where we're going. Well, you can't know that for certain. Someone might get hurt. I've already agreed with you. Well now, how can that be moral? Suppose someone is hurt, killed you, someone completely innocent. Exactly. Phelan gingerly adjusted his shoulder bag, too aware of its deadly contents. 
Alchemist's fire was a special kind of oil that burned hotter and longer than regular oil and ignited when exposed to air. He could hear the pair of deadly flasks sloshing a little with each step he took, and while they were made of thick glass, the necks of the bottles were, by design, long and thin, easily broken. This distinct design is how Phelan had instantly identified them when Yellowfly put them in his hands less than an hour ago. He had wrapped the two bombs in cloth, but all the same, he felt uneasy. Well, what if striking this blow against the Weeping Eye hurts them enough that it saves the lives of a dozen church members? Hmm, I take your point, but the church members are not innocents. They are thieves and killers. What of it? Well, I'm still not certain I understand how being a member of a thieves' guild can be, as you put it, the moral choice. By now, they had left the area of Silmoral, known as the Warren, and had entered a slightly nicer part of the city. It was called the Cobbles, as it had been one of the earliest parts of the city to get cobblestone roads. Most of Silmoral was paved now, but the name of the area had been cemented in the minds of the townsfolk for generations. To their left was a large stone building that Shawnee knew was the headquarters of the Merchant's Guild. Its large double doors were flanked by decorative pillars that some clever sculptor had designed so that it looked like snakes coiled about them, with the tails on top and the heads resting on the stone step facing the portal. In nature, Shawnee said, serpents eat mice. They keep the mice population from growing too large, you see. I sense a metaphor coming. The snakes represent... The wealthy merchants and nobles of Silmoral, of course. Ah, I think I follow... Are we the mice who are clever enough to steal from their nests while they're off hunting, then? No, we are the hawk that eats the snake. Phelan snorted out a quick burst of laughter. <laughs> Quite right. Shane, you do realize that hawks eat as many mice as they do snakes, yes? Shane frowned. Do they? She shrugged. Well, it's all one. Ah, look, there is our target. Of the two teams, Shane and Phelan have the easier task. Still, success is not guaranteed, not at all. There are a number of things that might go wrong. Furthermore, getting this job done right is important. If this team fails, Yellowfly and Tamlin's job will become that much harder. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's deal with the here and now and consider some things that might impede Shawnee and Phelan. First and most obvious is the weather. We know it rained heavily the night before. I wonder, have those rain clouds passed by? In Tale of the Manticore, I usually determine weather by DM Fiat. I just pick something that adds the right tone to a particular scene. But when the weather matters, like during a hex crawl or, say, when you're trying to set fire to a building, I use another system. It's simple. I roll a d20. The higher the number, the more favorable the weather. In this case, a 1 would be a downpour, a sudden repeat of last night's storm. A 2 or a 3 would still mean some rain. Here's the roll. I've rolled a 14. The morning sky was cloudy, but by now, those clouds have parted, exposing swaths of clear blue sky and resolving into a beautiful sunny day. Right up ahead, yeah. The one in the corner. That's the one. A faded sign above the door read, Blue Heron Trading Company. Besides the large single door, the front of the warehouse was featureless. It was nestled in the spot between the road, where it turned north, and the outer city wall. We'll end around the back. Shawnee led her partner around the side of the building. The warehouse walls were made of wooden planks. There were no windows on the front and only one on the side, set near the top of the building's 30-foot-high roof. 
when they arrived at the rear of the warehouse, they found themselves in a very narrow space between the back wall and Silmoral's outer wall, which rose a dozen feet higher than the building's roof. Phelan frowned at the acrid smell of old urine. Shawnee didn't seem to notice. She pulled a rope from her bag. It was the same rope Yellowfly had taken from the safe house. When he took it, he had thought it might prove useful. It appeared he was right. Shawnee tied one end around her waist as she studied the cracked and darkened planks of the warehouse wall. She measured the space between it and the stones of the city wall, roughly three feet. She bobbed her head from side to side as if considering something, and then nodded to herself in satisfaction. Somewhere in the distance came the reverberant pealing of church bells, signaling the fourth hour after midday and the call to afternoon prayer. That's the signal, said Shawnee. Time to go to work. When I get to the top, tie your bag to the end of the rope. With that, she began to pull herself up, somehow managing to find cracks and footholds in the wall that Phelan had not even noticed were there. Up and up she went, carefully checking the spaces around her for viable knots and misaligned planks as she went. At one point, roughly 20 feet off the ground, she had to lean back dangerously against the city wall behind her to push past a bit of smooth warehouse wall. Phelan, looking up from below at the woman arched between the two walls, could not help but be impressed by her skill and courage. He suddenly wondered, what would happen if she were to fall? In BX, when a thief uses their climb walls skill, they roll a d100 to determine their success. On a failed roll, the thief falls from halfway up the ascent. In this case, since the building is 30 feet high, I'm rounding up, and the fall will happen at the 20-foot mark. An accident like that would be very likely to kill Shawnee, who only has 5 hit points. Luckily, while thieves are bad at, well, almost everything at low levels, the one thing they can all do well is climb. Even a lowly level 1 thief has an 87% chance of success at this. Let's see what will happen here. Rolling my d100. Ha! I got a 4. Shawnee scales the wall like a gecko. She's up in a trice. Once she disappears over the edge of the roof, Phelan ties the rope to his bag and gives it a gentle tug. Shawnee then hoists his bag slowly up the side of the warehouse while Phelan watches, wincing every time it jostles against the wooden wall. Chapter 6 Part 3 Day 2 4 o'clock Party status Yellowfly 8 out of 8 hit points Tamlin 5 out of 5 Cole sitting out this episode. Yellowfly and Tamlin watched with amusement as a little boy chased a goose along the wall of the inner city. The child was brandishing a stick, waving it around like a sword and giggling uncontrollably. Ah, oh, to be that young again, said Yellowfly. From a distance, somewhere southwest of them, the bells of the great cathedral rang out. The sound bounced back and forth through the maze of Silmoral's many shops and homes and other buildings, filling the entire city. Still watching the boy and wearing a wistful smile, Yellowfly continued, Ah, well, it's time for us to go to work. He and Tamlin were wearing the uniform of the city guard, a green and black tabard over a suit of boiled leather armor. They approached the city's gate. It was called Thury's Gate, named after the regent who had ruled Silmoral after the disappearance of the bizarre King Ildris long, long ago. The two men stationed there stepped to the side without so much as a second look. The guard was large and often traded members with the army, so anonymity was a near-sure thing, especially when their faces were partially concealed by half-helms. 
Furthermore, these uniforms were not forgeries or reproductions. They were actual uniforms, bored by Lord Rabbit temporarily and given to Yellowfly for this exact purpose. Anonymity is a near sure thing, but I think that this first hurdle in Yellowfly and Tamlin's mission should at least have some chance of failure or complication, even if it's just a small one. So, I'm going to roll a kind of perception check for the guards. It'll be at the maximum difficulty. Each guard will roll a d20, and on a 1, they will notice something amiss. I've got two d20s in my hand. Hopefully I don't see any 1s or this mission might be over before it even begins. Rolling. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help to support it, there are five ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can purchase One Shot in the Dark or pick up Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. A quick reminder that Tale of the Manticore is now available on Amazon Music. As you know, I like to share your generous reviews. This one is from Apple Podcasts and was posted by Taco Force 9 Taco Force 9 writes, I thought that OSR gameplay just didn't work for audio formats. Boy, has this show proved me wrong. This has captured the old-school dramatic gameplay that eludes modern D&D games. Someone might be turned off by the delivery of the combat sequences at first, but it really drives the stakes later on, and you'll be on the edge of your seat wondering if the PCs are going to make it or not. The last arc had some rather big combats, and I thought it was handled gracefully, and the carnage of the situation really sung. Thanks so much for the review, Taco Force 9. May I presume there are at least eight other Taco Forces out there? I want that to be true. Anyway, I'm thrilled that you're enjoying the show and stuck with it during those first two episodes where I was learning how to make combat work. If you're listening to this, I hope you're enjoying Season 2 as well. My thanks also go to Kai Allen of Tumble Die Games. Kai Allen, of course, is the voice of Phelan Orla. He is also a freelance musician, composer, and game designer. He has free downloads available on SoundCloud. Look him up. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials, at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Hello, folks, and welcome to the promo of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast that focuses on all things tabletop, from RPG design, GMing, and casual nerd talk about all the games we love and hate. What you can expect from the podcast is professionalism. Leave it in. Genuine conversation. I can't cast magic for real. I don't know what it means to have, you know, 160 IQ and have gone to a wizard school. Hard hitting topics. If you had to kill a puppy every time your game oh was my sold, God, he's would you continue me. killing puppies? Oh. Professionalism at its finest. Ah, who am I kidding? We're just a bunch of guys who love RPGs and love to talk about them at any chance. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Just search Roleplaying as Smart People on this Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and pretty much everywhere else. See you soon!